0: So to get us rolling, if you do have a Bible, take it out. We're going to be a lot of places, uh, but primarily we're going to be camping out in a few key texts in the New Testament. But as you turn there, I want to start our time with a quote from the great London preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect And I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I would have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. That is a great framework and foundation for what we are doing today because we're going to be sharing, I'm going to be sharing a bit of our story, how we got here, and laying a bit of where we are going next as a church, and I promise you it will be imperfect. I promise you we will disappoint you. As a church, as church leaders, I promise you that we will not always get it right, but I also promise you that we will seek to diligently obey whatever we see in the scriptures and apply it to our life here and now. And I love what that quote does for us is it simultaneously promotes grace for one another in the church body, for all of our potential and probable missteps that we'll have with each other, but it also promotes an active and engaged church body. It promotes uh, an active and engaged church body that says, I'm not here to sit and consume, but I'm here because I have a part to play. And so I love where that starts us here. And what I actually want to do is just tell a bit of the story to how we got here this morning. When we, when we planted Anthem Church just four years ago, Sherry and I moved into the city and started working with a, a very small crew of people and started praying and dreaming about what a new church could look like here in Ventura. About five years ago, we started meeting together. We started meeting in in some uh, little house church, if you guys know Peter and Emily Kappen, they graciously let us use their apartment, and we started to meet there and just open Scripture, enjoy life with each other. We soon outgrew that apartment and started another house community here in the city. And after a little while, we began, the, uh, we started to feel the calling, conviction, and compelling of the Holy Spirit to to plant a church here in Ventura. And so, four years ago, October eleventh, two thousand fifteen, we had our first. Sunday gathering. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know it's been an adventurous, a crazy, sometimes really difficult, but an exciting four years together as a church. And and, and as we launched four years ago, It was Sherry and I kind of at the helm as these lead church planters, these missionaries into this city, Uh, and we launched with with Sherry and I in that role of leadership, and we, at the time, we thought we were borrowing Kevin and Vanessa from Anthem Thousand Oaks, one of our sending churches, and it turns out uh, we got to keep them, we didn't just borrow them, but they graciously gave us about a year and a half's worth of of support and, and leadership with Sherry and I so that we would not be doing this alone. And it's been amazing and an adventurous four years together as a church, and we are so grateful. Our default posture is gratitude for all that Jesus has done with and through our church. And over the last four years, we've met in three different locations on Sundays. We've clarified who we are, what we're about, and what Jesus is calling us to We've gotten to help plant churches in Southern California and abroad. We've sent people to help strengthen other churches here in California and around the nation. We've raised up new leaders, seen many come to know Jesus, many reactivated in their faith, and many who have moved from outside the city into our city find deep community and relationships. We've been able to help meet tangible needs in our city Through uh, ministries and mission like Laundry Love, the City Center, and Tender Life Maternity Home. And through Alpha, we've cultivated a unique space for people from all sorts of backgrounds to explore faith, life, and meaning in Jesus together. And we've seen many grow in their apprenticeship to Jesus, uh, orienting their lives around being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing what he did together in our city. All To the glory of Jesus. Even despite us, he has done amazing, amazing things with and through us. And from a leadership standpoint, it's been amazing to have uh, just a brilliant crew of community group leaders helping us shoulder the shepherding burden here in this city. It's been amazing to have a staff team come around us and fulfill the practical and tangible needs and it's been an absolute joy to be in partnership with the elder teams from Anthem Camarillo and Anthem Thousand Oaks are sending churches as we're sort of in this new church planting season where we're honestly just figuring out who we are and what we are doing together. They've supported us and have helped us grow and mature as a church, but we've always known that a qualified team of elders would emerge from the church body as we pursue Jesus and obeyed him together. But we've also known that that's going to take some time, knowing that we don't want to lay hands on too quickly, knowing that there's still this discovery process of who we are, what we're about, and who the people are who are Anthem Ventura. And during our Vision Sunday uh, this year, back in February, we announced that this would be a primary project for Sherry and I this year, that we feel like the Lord was opening up the time for us to pursue this season as a church together. And over the last year, we've selected, developed, trained, and worked with a team of people aspiring to eldership in this church. In addition to listening the Holy Spirit, We looked for people who are doing the verb before we give them the title of the noun. So we've been looking for people who are already leading, sacrificing, serving, shepherding, caring, and loving the flock that God has entrusted to us. We looked for people who smelled like our church and were all into the mission that Jesus has given us. And we were looking for people who were growing in their readiness for this season in the life of our church. And today is the day that Sherry and I will present to you the church body, those families accepting this high call, submitting them to you for examination. But before we get there, I'm gonna draw this out as long as possible. Before we get there, what I actually wanna do is I wanna start by doing a little teaching around leadership found in the Bible for the local church. And so I'm actually gonna start there. We're gonna take the next half hour. 40 minutes or so, and just really unpack what we see in Scripture about leadership in the local church. Uh, And then secondly, what we are doing today is we are going to be encouraging all existing members, those who have raised their hand and say, Anthem is my home, we are going to be encouraging each one of you to reaffirm that desire as we start in on this new season And we are also inviting all those who have not yet taken that step to become a member with Anthem Church to raise their hand, figuratively, not actually, to raise their hand and to say, yes, we're in, this is our home. We are part of this body here. And thirdly, we will be presenting these elders in training to you, the body, for the season of examination Now, for each one of those, I'm going to explain a little bit of what and how we're doing when we get to that time, so that's going to be the back half of the morning today, but I actually want to start, rather than starting with the things we're doing, I want to start with why we're doing them, and I want to start with Scripture as our foundation, okay? The reason I'm teaching on leadership first from the Bible is because leadership structures in the church are one of the more challenging issues that people seem to face when they think about the church, It's one of the more common questions that we get before people arrive at Anthem Ventura, and it's one of the more common questions we get after people have visited once or twice or three times. The culture around us has a pretty wide variety of churches and how those churches are led, so it's no surprise that it's one of those key questions that come up in the life of a church, especially as someone is looking for a new church home. And this morning, we're going to walk through our understanding of what the Bible teaches on leadership in the local church. We are going to start there because we are in an era of corruption of leaders, brokenness of leaders, brokenness of people in leadership, and it is on display in the media, what feels like 24-7, in and out of the church, there's always someone in leadership who is doing something wrong, who is taking advantage, who is abusing, who is corrupt in some way. There are no shortages of, leader, of stories of leaders falling and the shrapnel around them. And that may even describe some of you. Some of you may be walking in this morning with a bit of a limp because of someone who is in a leadership position has done something that's been abusive, that's been corrupt, that have failed you, they've let you down, they have disappointed you in some way. And so we are going to start what Scripture teaches and work diligently to apply that to our church here. We are a church committed to a high view of Scripture, even when it makes us uncomfortable. We believe that unless the Bible is God's actual word to us, we live without any real moral authority, Right and wrong would become matters of personal taste, preference, agenda, or popular opinion. And we would not actually really be able to talk about justice or truth at all because there's no way of knowing objective truth. So we start with Scripture. And my hope for today is to bring clarity from Scripture about how Jesus wants his church set up, not how we want our church set up. Do you guys catch that? My hope today is to bring clarity from scripture about how Jesus wants his church set up, not how we want his church set up. As Paul says to Titus, my hope is to put what remains in order. And while I cannot possibly answer every question around leadership, what I hope we do today is lay a good foundation for moving forward and create space for conversation in the future around the scripture. And so at Anthem, our formal leadership structure under Jesus involves elders, staff, and members. And we're going to start with the top. We're going to start with Jesus. We believe scripture clearly teaches that Jesus is the head of his church. In Ephesians, a quick summary, and one of Paul's focus in on Jesus, in Ephesians chapter 1 he says, and he put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And then in chapter four, rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then in chapter five, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. No question in Paul's writings and all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is the head of his church. He is our senior pastor. It's him who we follow as he continues the movement that he started 2,000 years ago through his perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection. As he ascended to heaven, he gave us his spirit and established his church to be led by elders. It is his church. He's our senior pastor, and underneath the guidance of Jesus are under shepherds, our leaders who follow Jesus and encourage others to follow him as well. Jesus gave gifts to his church, and in those gifts, our leadership, Ephesians 4, chap- uh, chapter 4, verse 11, tells us. So part of Jesus' gifting to the church is church leaders. And the Bible lays out three types of local church leadership that we are going to unpack. Elders, deacons, and members. And I actually want to start in reverse order. I want to start with the whole body. I want to start with members because I include, we include members as in the formal leadership structure of Anthem Church. And I include members here as leaders because part of the role and responsibility and posture of leadership requires taking responsibility. And at the core of those who are members of a church are those who take responsibility for a church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Members of Anthem are part of the leadership structure here. We believe that the family of God is a family and we all have roles and parts to play. Now, I know membership has a whole lot of cultural baggage right off the bat. Like I know that. I know some of you came from churches where membership was never even spoken of and some of you come from churches where there's a high formal view of membership. Some of you have experienced brokenness and hurt as a result of those types of formal relationships. And right off the bat, knowing in full tenderness some of your stories, I want to encourage and challenge you to look to scripture first before your own experience. One of the things that we try to do, especially in in this realm of leadership, is not to ignore things in Scripture that have been misinterpreted or misapplied, but work hard to redeem those things. Work hard to actually overcome some of our own experience, good or bad, and seek what Scripture says. So I want to encourage you, and this may take some strength and boldness for some of you to lay aside some of your baggage for the moment, lay aside some of your preconceived notions for what membership is and isn't, and diligently see what we see in the scriptures together. Now, I'll stay at the start. Anthem Church believes membership is present in the New Testament and is helpful and crucial for our church today. But the Bible is famously and frustratingly silent on what membership actually looks like and how it's supposed to happen. It just assumes that it's there and it's taking place. Now, rather than being frustrated, this actually leaves the church to creatively and humbly sketch this out for our time and our place. And so we're about four years into the life of our church, and God has blessed us with incredible People, He's uh, blessed us in incredible ways as a church. There is a generous and faithful group of people who have gathered together regularly to grow in our understanding of the gospel and our desire to serve in this community. And God has brought together a people genuinely excited for this city and for the gospel to reach this city. And as exciting as that is, over the last four years, it's created some unique challenges in shepherding and leading and caring for the flock that God has entrusted to us. On the one hand, we love the hearts of people who have been coming uh, to Anthem Church and have been a part of Anthem Church. On the other hand, it has been a challenge as leaders to know exactly who the flock is. The challenge is then magnified as we are presenting and calling elders to shepherd the flock. We live in a culture where there are not only a large number of choices of local churches and denominations, but there are a number of parachurch organizations, podcasts, online churches, and small groups disconnected from any sort of church, and what we've had is people over the last four years who have come in, and as quickly as they've come in and joined and worshiped with us for a season, have quickly left. Now, I have long been a a proponent sometimes to our church's detriment of unselfishness in the kingdom of God. People come into our church, they find it's, it's not the right home for them, they leave, they get plugged into another church, and Sherry and I celebrate that. It sometimes hurts and stings, but as long as believers are connected to a church family, we are happy. We are happy for the kingdom of God, we are happy for their church, we're happy for the other churches here in town. If somebody leaves Anthem and is able to connect legitimately to another local church, we're not only okay, but we celebrate that. When we are told by Jesus to shepherd, lead, teach, and protect the flock, we have to take those commands seriously. The challenge is... It is very difficult to know who the flock is apart from some version of membership, some version where we give people an avenue to say, we're in, this is our church family. Otherwise, what we have is a whole lot of squishy people moving from place to place until it gets hard, and then they go somewhere else. Because of our transient culture, the answer of who is a part of this church cannot possibly be whomever shows up on a Sunday. So who is a member of the church? How do we even start in this conversation? There are two texts I want to look at very quickly that help inform this idea and this thought. The first comes from 1 Peter chapter 5. It's actually one of the primary texts around eldership, but it helps give us some context for who the church members might be. Verses 1 and 2, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the command to the elders Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, etc. But notice the two times Peter says, The flock that is among you. There is a group of people who are known to the leaders and the leaders are known to them that define the local church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those Will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, while the focus of this verse is normally on the first part of that sentence because we bristle at words like obey and submit, actually consider what comes after that. These leaders for whom we are to obey and submit are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Those in leadership, in the local church, must give an account to Jesus for how they shepherded them. If you are in leadership, this is a terrifying verse. This is not a verse to wield authority. This is not a a verse to beat people over the head with. This is, if you are a leader, a verse to be terrified at. Even more terrified if we do not know who the flock among us is. And what I believe is, I believe Jesus is not setting us up for failure here. That anyone who comes into proximity with us is one we have to give an account for. I don't believe that's what's actually taking place. I believe he's setting us up for something better. Those with whom you are in a committed and sacrificial relationship. Those who trust you and whom you trust. You are responsible for them because I have entrusted them to you. One of my favorite analogies for membership in the church is a DTR. You guys know what a DTR is? A define the relationship moment. And one of my favorite stories to share about that is is when Sherry and I first started dating. When we first started dating, like many of you, if you are married or have dated people in the past, is it starts with just some dates. Right? You're getting to know each other. You are having fun together. You are enjoying each other. But any, for any healthy or well-adjusted person, there eventually has to become a moment where you say, what is this? Who am I to you and who are, who are you to me? And for us, uh, hopefully, if you are healthy and well-adjusted, that comes earlier, not later, because that does a lot of harm if it comes too long. So a few months in, you can be the judge if that's early enough or not. A few months in, we sat down and had lunch. Where was that restaurant? Do you remember? Lupe's. Is it still around? No. R.I.P. Lupe's. (laughs) All right. Lupe's uh, and Thousand Oaks, a aggressively mediocre Mexican restaurant. Uh, We sat down, uh, and we had that moment, and it's awkward, right? Have you ever had that moment? It's weird. And because Sherry's in Enneagram 9, she kept kind of hemming and hawing around these moments of decision. And we finally had to come to this place where I say, "Look, look, I want you to be my girlfriend, and I want to be your boyfriend, And with that are not just labels. That comes certain expectation and responsibilities, right? It assumes some things. It assumes Sherry's not going to keep seeing other people. She was not, but, you know. It assumes that we are exclusive. It assumes that there's a certain care and protection that we have for each other. It assumes that there's forward motion happening in this relationship, that we are not just messing around, but we are actually going somewhere as two people slowly joining their lives together. This is one of my favorite pictures of what membership is actually like. We have all kinds of wacky ideas and really it is a define the relationship moment. Am I actually responsible for you? Are you responsible for me? Because if not, our biblical relationship changes a little bit and if, if we are, our relationship changes a bit as well. Once you have that moment, there is clarity And for us as a church, we believe clear relationships breed trust and growth, while ambiguous relationships breed disappointment and hurt. We talk about this a lot with community groups, especially in that intro to community group season. That clear relationships, although awkward and may raise the bar for what's expected of you, actually breed trust and growth. But if you're always in the dark, if you're always living in ambiguity, that usually breeds disappointment and hurt. When we look at the churches of the New Testament, we see a very clear understanding of who the church was and who the church was not. Paul writes to the Corinthians about outsiders in chapter 14 who are part of their gathering. The membership of the local church was an understood reality, especially in snapshots like Ephesus and Rome, where Paul talks about them as members of one another. It's in the context of church membership that you serve, give, encourage, care for, lead, and exercise spiritual gifts, support, and disciple one another. And this seems to be the heart of God for his church that is expressed in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Romans, Hebrews, among other places. Now, can you do all of those things if you are not a member? Of course. Of course, you can lead, you can serve, you can give. You can be members of one another without actually being members of one another. Just like Sherry and I can have fun dates and enjoy each other before that DTR moment. But if you are in a committed relationship or if you are married, you know once that DTR happens, the relationship changes. Suddenly, those same things are done with a new level of safety and trust and growth that can only happen after you have defined. The relationship. So, for us today, to simplify something I've already probably gone way too deep into, here's a working definition for what membership is here at Anthem. Biblical membership, we believe, is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian, where the local church takes specific responsibility for the Christian, and the Christian takes specific responsibility for their local church. So by becoming a member with Anthem, you are actually committing yourself to the body and its leadership, not a nonprofit organization, to a family of people. You're committing to carry out the one another commands of scripture in the context of this family. And you're acknowledging your dependence on other believers for your own sanctification and growth in Christ. So in joining with other members at Anthem, you're committing to take responsibility for those people. So... Look to the person next to you, the person next to you. The church is not a business, an event, a nonprofit organization, it is a family. As you become members with Anthem, you're taking responsibility for these yahoos in the room and they're taking responsibility for you. You're also submitting yourself to other members, being accountable to them in your pursuit of Jesus and receiving encouragement and edification and equipping from them. In his fantastic book, Uncomfortable, Brett McCracken says this A healthy relationship with the local church is like a healthy marriage. It only works when grounded in selfless commitment and non consumeristic covenant. AKA, it means when the church is a family and you don't pull away when things get hard or things are better somewhere else. When you become a member, you don't belong to a nonprofit, you belong to each other. Becoming a member in this culture is an act of self-identifying as a part of this church. Nobody can make you a member, but you can hear what it is and choose to submit yourself to the body here at Anthem Church. And what that does is it demonstrates your faith in Jesus to be a part of his body. When you look at scripture, you realize there is no such thing as a Christian apart from the church. It just does not exist you are not made to be a body part that has been amputated from the body it can't function properly in that same chapter in that book he goes on to say our real choice is this do you want to be plugged into the lifeblood and energy of the body or do you want to cut ourselves off from this body lying inert somewhere as a severed finger or an amputated leg The upside of being a severed finger is you don't have to bother with cooperating with the other fingers, annoying as they are. The downside is you can't really do anything. And you have no biological connection to the neuron signals coming from the head. Jesus. For many in our church, it's simply stating what's already taking place. It is simply saying, I'm already a part of this family. For others, it is a step forward. In committing to a church family. And as we are moving forward with presenting elders to the church body, we are inviting current members to reaffirm their desire for membership with Anthem and inviting all those who call Anthem home into membership, aka just saying, I'm in. You're my people. I'm your person. We're in this together. That is the first specific relationship. And and version of leadership we see in Scripture and in our church. The second type is deacons, and a lot of you already have weird pictures of what a deacon is in your mind if you have grown up in church. If you haven't, you're probably in a better place because you can just start from a blank slate. But other than elders, deacons are the only other office mentioned in the Scriptures for the local church. There is not a whole lot of deacons in the on the deacons in the Bible. There's not. There are exactly two texts. That deal with deacons in the Bible. One is the story of the first crew of deacons, and the second is a list of character qualifications for who these people might be. Uh, And so, very quickly, uh, this word deacon just means to be a servant. It comes from this word diaconus. It means to be a servant, one who ministers alongside or a helper. And this doesn't mean that deacons are servants and do the menial jobs. Uh, Everyone in the church should have a servant's heart. What it does mean, though, is that deacons come alongside the elders, assisting them in the pastoring of the church, releasing them to prayer and ministry of the word. So for us, we've intentionally not moved forward establishing a deacon team because we've not had an elder team yet. And what we see in scriptures, the pattern is elders establish the deacon team here to assist them and help them in the leading of the church. Now, we have not done this yet, for the reasons I just said, but it is a primary project of this crew that is being established. In the meantime, and in more familiar language, to fulfill all the tangible, practical, and spiritual and leadership needs of the church, we have staff, and we have team leads, and we have volunteers who function in these practical type ways. We don't have much in the way of deacons. That's about it. If you want to learn a little bit more, Acts chapter six gives us the story of the first deacon team in the Bible. Uh, Most of them were martyred for their faith. Uh, The second text we have, sorry, that's not like a very encouraging invitation into deaconship. Um, The second is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, right after Paul describes some of the qualifications for who are to be elders or overseers, he gives some nearly identical qualifications to deacons minus the ability to teach and counsel from the word. So you can read a little bit more there, but where I want to spend the rest of our time talking around leadership is elders. In addition to scripture, which says quite a bit on the local church elders, much of our understanding of eldership has been helped along by three books in particular. There's a lot of great leadership books, but three books in particular have really honed in on this. And so if you want to learn more, if you think you might aspire or are interested in eldership with Anthem or just continuing to grow as a leader these books will be great help in understanding at least the theology and scripture behind this particular leadership role. So you can put those up, three books here, Gospel Eldership, which is kind of a bit of a workbook uh, to process through. It's meant to be done with a group or with your spouse or whatever. Uh, The second is a little bit more academical, theologically dense, Biblical Eldership, Alexander Strauch. And then Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons, which is great. If you want to learn a little bit more about deacons by Thabiti and Wabili, fantastic resources on eldership in the local church, grounded in Scripture. So if you're interested, please jot those down and read a little bit more on eldership. But we believe Scripture teaches that God gives elders to, to his church to lead, shepherd, guard doctrine, and help equip the saints for the work of ministry. Anthem Church is an elder led church that submits to the authority of the Bible, and we believe the Bible calls a group of men to be the pastor elders of the local church. A quick note, especially if you've been on social media for the last week or two and have seen some outrageous things, uh, I want to clarify a few things here. The requirements for elders or overseers in the New Testament included being faithful to their wives keeping their children submissive, and governing their households well, all of which assume that elders and overseers are men. But no spiritual gift, not prophecy, teaching, leadership, or anything else, is identified in Scripture as being exclusively given to men or women. Additionally, the primary picture of the church in Scripture is family. And in a healthy family, everybody contributes. This is why in just a few minutes when we bring up these elders in training, their wives are coming with them. It's why when we Lord willing install a team of elders, their children come with them because this is a family calling and a family burden. Their kids will have to shoulder things your kids don't because they are submitting to this high call and burden of shepherding the flock among them. This is a family calling and we treat it as such. In scripture, there are three words interchangeably that refer to the function and office of elders and one of the same person. And what we see is both Peter and Paul come at this role of leadership in a few different angles depending on who they're talking to, but it's all describing the same person. These three words are presbyteros, which is where we get the word elder, So this is someone who executes God's justice and government and administrates the affairs of the church. And a few passages to research if you want to learn more about this word in particular. The second word is episkopos, and it's where we get the word overseer or bishop, depending on your Bible translation. And this is someone who oversees. It's a guardian, a gatekeeper, and a watchman. And once again, a few references to research on your own. And the third word is poimeon, shepherd or pastor. One who shepherds the flock, nurtures and cares for the flock, feeding the flock, protecting the flock. And once again, a few references to research. Now, the storyline of the New Testament starts with an apostolic presence, planting and leading churches from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and beyond into the far reaches of the Roman Empire. The apostles and the prophets were involved in the foundation laying of the church and would eventually, this is the story of each and every church in the Bible, raise up local leadership from among the body known as elders to facilitate the spiritual life of the church. That was a mouthful. Churches were started because apostles or missionaries started them, but a crucial moment in the maturation of the church is establishing a team of local leaders to govern and shepherd and protect and lead that church. In Acts chapter 20, if you have a Bible, go there. We're gonna read a bit about the Ephesian church. In Acts chapter 20, we see a moment where Paul, the apostle, is leaving the church in Exodus that he helped start. And he is speaking with the elders that presumably he has raised up in that town in preparation for his departure. And he is essentially commissioning the elders into duty. Granted, they were already referred to as elders, so at some point in Paul's ministry there, he identified, selected, trained, developed, raised them up, and put them into place. But his role as an apostle in the early days of the church at Ephesus were complete. And so what we see here is the handoff in leadership. So Acts chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 17 and go all the way down to verse 33. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called, the el- and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and here's his like departing instructions, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. That's a, not a happy mission he's on next. But he's going. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And his instructions right here in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And he goes on and and he leaves them at that point. Those are his final instructions to the elders in Ephesus. This is the leadership handoff from Paul the Apostle planting the church and spending three years with them, teaching them, developing them, training them to him saying, you guys are it. Goodbye. Pay careful attention to you, yourselves, and to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, knowing that you shepherd people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul gives his testimony, how he approached his ministry, and his primary goal here is to finish the preparation for the elders of Ephesus. And their eldership will consist primarily what we see from this text of carrying on the teaching of the whole council of God, protecting the flock of God from false teaching and wolves who will come and break up the flock. Their devotion is to the care and the oversight of the local church. We have other pictures of eldership in the Bible, but here, this is a great starting point because it is a very clear handoff from Paul the Apostle, missionary, church planter, to a team of people called and committed to leading and caring for this church. The primary role of the elders is to function as the overseeing leadership of the local church, taking care of the teaching, care of the flock, defense against false teaching, and management of the household and spiritual leadership in the church. This is a crucial moment for the Ephesian church. And what I hope you see is this is not a moment to be taken lightly. This is why we put out the bat signal for all of you guys who call Anthem home to be here. This is a crucial and vital moment in the life of any church. This handoff starts today. Sherry and I planted this church. We had an amazing team of leaders with us, but this is a formal moment when we go from being led by missionary church planting solo, pastor, whatever model you wanna call it to a team of qualified shepherds to care for and protect this flock. Flip over to Titus chapter one, Titus chapter one. Small book right after 2 Timothy, Titus chapter one. What we have in Titus, 1 Timothy and 1 Peter are some of the primary texts around eldership. And particularly what you're going to notice is Paul's main concern is their character. He's not so concerned with their ability to, uh, to teach, to preach well from a oratorical standpoint. He's not concerned with their leadership strategies. He's not concerned with things we may import to our idea of leadership. He's concerned with their character, their calling, their competency in Scripture and their commitment to the local church. And he starts his instruction to Titus like this. In verse five, this is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul writing to Titus, very similar to Timothy, like church planting, up and coming leader, young guy. Don't think these are old fogies talking to each other, young guy, Paul talking to Titus on the island of Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This was Paul's instruction to Titus on the island of Crete. Now, just a few notes about this verse right here. There are four really key things that come up in this one verse before he even gets into what these elders should look like. First, Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete. Meaning, It is somebody's job to do this. It doesn't just happen. I don't know about you guys, what your church history and background is. I grew up in a church that felt like it existed in perpetuity. Like I'd never know. I was not there at the beginning. It was not a new church. It was a very old church. And uh, it just seemed like things were always going. And I don't ever reckon or remember a starting point. What we have here is in the early life of a new church, there is something that was somebody's job that had to be done. So it might be the missionary, the apostle, the existing elders to appoint other elders. But here, Paul gave that job to Titus. I left you in Crete to do this job. Second thing, to put what remained in order, meaning there is something inherently out of order in a church that does not have elders. Now, that doesn't mean all churches without elders are evil and satanic or anything like that. Like what we see in the New Testament is a lot of new churches being started, but what we also see is eventually, usually earlier in the life of that church, leadership gets handed off from the planter, the missionary, the apostle, even if they stay with that church, to a team of people. There is something inherently out of order if the solo pastor, missionary, apostle, church planter model goes on into perpetuity that there is something in order that happens when the church establishes elders. This is why I left you in Crete, to put what remained into order. Appoint elders in every town, particularly in this leader. Every town is a way of saying every church. There's just one church in each town when the early church was getting started. And so in every town on the island of Crete, there is a church and Paul's saying every church needs elders. No church is exempt from this. Every church needs elders. As I directed you, the fourth part of this passage here, which means there's a certain way this ought to be done. And that's what we get in the next few verses of Titus. That's what we get in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that's what we get in 1 Peter chapter 5. That to Paul, there is a certain way that this happens. The character of the elders to Paul is of utmost importance. And as he trains Timothy and Titus into their apostolic ministry of appointing elders, he teaches them about how to do this. And he writes to both his young apprentices about the character that they should look for in the elders that they put into place. So each one of these texts deserves its own sermon, but we don't have time for that today. So I'm just gonna read them to you. I trust that the Holy Spirit is doing his thing. So in Titus, we'll continue. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders into every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunken or violent or greedy for gain." but is hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household. How will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. 1 Peter chapter five, the final one here. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter five. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Paul's utmost concern is their character, their calling, whoever aspires to the office of overseer, their commitment to shepherd the flock among them. Their competency in in the scripture and wielding sound doctrine to counsel from the whole word of God, to encourage, to equip, and to rebuke, and to call out false teaching when they say it, to lovingly and sacrificially lay down their lives as an example, as a sacrifice, as the first repenters, as the humble, to say we are eagerly, not domineering, but eagerly accepting this call to shepherd the flock, the Holy Spirit has made us overseers of. Our passion as a church is to walk in God's story. Not to take it for ourselves and make it what we want it to be, but to walk in obedience to him. We are trying to be tender to what the scriptures teach and moldable to what the scriptures teach in life and particularly in leadership in the church. From an identity perspective, our leaders understand their identity as part of the body of Christ and that we are fellow saints and brothers and sisters with each person in this church first. And ultimately, we believe King Jesus is on his throne. He's our senior pastor, and under his leadership, our responsibility is to lead with humility and tenderness and with full focus on Jesus Christ.